Good afternoon. It's Friday the 11th of March 2022, uh, a bit after one o'clock. Apologies for the delay starting. Uh, welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host today, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio, as usual, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century War. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and also joining us, I'm delighted to say, is Vanessa Bailey. Uh, welcome to the program, Vanessa. Yeah, good stuff. Right, look, we're going to get straight on, Patrick, with a video clip reminder from Liz Truss. We are, but let's just set this up. Uh, what are we talking about here? Uh, there's very shocking reports uh, that we've seen recently uh, in the last few days. And obviously, we have our, our guest, uh, Vanessa Bealey, is going to give us some analysis on this. But uh, there are reports that uh, jihadists, Islamist extremists, terrorist fighters from Syria are now making their way uh, to Ukraine uh, to join the fight uh, on behalf of the uh, Zelensky government and, uh, and Ukraine, and also on behalf, really, ostensibly of NATO. Uh, and uh, the British Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, it wasn't so long ago, Mike, that uh, she made a public announcement, uh, almost like a call to arms for people uh, anywhere to head to Syria and that they'll have the backing of the British government, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, let's listen to that. The people of Ukraine are fighting for freedom and democracy, not just for Ukraine, but for the whole of Europe, because that is what President Putin is challenging. And absolutely, if people want to support that struggle, I would support them in doing that. So you support absolutely if that's what they want to do. So, so now she has apparently yesterday backtracked from that somewhat, but nonetheless, there were headlines over the last week or so, Patrick, you know, with concerns that uh, four uh, British military personnel had uh, absconded from Poland and were heading to Ukraine. And there were con the headlines were saying things like that, you know, Putin might assume that Britain has entered the war sort of thing. So, but the message was already given. And of course, as we've mentioned on this program, Patrick, uh, all the images of the young, attractive Ukrainian women uh, holding the guns, of course, is going to attract uh, mercenaries and so on as well. Well, that's part of the marketing. And we saw similar things with Syria, uh, which Vanessa will also probably remind us of some of those things. But uh, let's just point to this article here. This is on uh, Off Guardian. Uh, the headline is NATO's white helmets follow Al-Qaeda to Ukraine. And this is not an exaggeration. This is actually happening. And we warned at the time when Trust made those comments that that was a dog whistle mm. to anyone and everyone that basically they have the backing of NATO, uh, the leading NATO member state, uh, the UK, along with the US, uh, to pick up arms or go there and pick up arms when you arrive because our governments are actually trafficking weapons right. in, into that war zone and openly so and proudly so. Uh, European governments, United States, and, and Britain as well. So uh, I think we can uh, probably bring uh, Vanessa Bealey on the line uh, right now. Uh, and uh, Vanessa, tell us about this latest development. Uh, and you've written about this in detail here. I know the original report came from Al Mayadeen, uh, Middle Eastern news outlet, but uh, just give us uh, your uh, feelings and what you think is happening here. Well, I mean, it was inevitable, even prior to the al Mayadeen article, we'd seen um, evidence that uh, terrorist groups, particularly from Idlib, that had already been percolated to, to Libya and Azerbaijan by Turkey, were being effectively um, tunneled out of Idlib uh, through Turkey, another member, NATO member state, into the Ukraine to fight alongside the Nazi and ultranationalist factions 
in Ukraine, backed, of course, by, by the NATO member states that are backing terrorism uh, inside Syria. And uh, then, rather interestingly, there was an opinion piece by Josh Rogan in, in Washington Post, not always uh, guaranteed to be a credible news outlet, um, but uh, talking about the fact that Raid Saleh, who's now um, nominated himself the chairman of the White Helmets, Raid Saleh, of course, as I've explained in the article and with a link to 21st Century Wire um, reports, uh, has terrorist ties himself. Uh, as do the majority of the White Helmet leadership, is talking, of course, uh, let's say digging up uh, the old um, accusations that were levied by UN agencies, Western media, and of course their, their mouthpiece, the White Helmets, at uh, the Russian military in Syria of bombing hospitals, bombing schools, bombing civilian infrastructure, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, without providing any of the context, of course, that the majority of those schools and hospitals, as I witnessed myself throughout Syria, were occupied by the terrorist armed groups. And, of course, we'll discuss that when, when we later on discuss some of the propaganda that's coming out of uh, Ukraine. Um, so effectively, anyway, basically, this is an excuse for the White Helmets to kind of resurrect the propaganda that kept them... Uh, going inside Syria, corroborating UK-US foreign policy, providing the chemical weapons staged events, as in the case of Duma 2018, to sustain the demonization and criminalization of the Syrian government uh, and its allies inside Syria, battling NATO member state-backed terrorism. Um, and eventually, Raid Saleh talks about, well, you know, uh, not only will we provide help from afar, we're prepared to send teams into Ukraine. So as I pointed out in a 2018 interview that I did with the Corbett Report, uh, I alluded to the fact that there was a very high potential of the White Helmets becoming a global franchise. They then did pop up in various um, areas in the Philippines, in Malaysia. Um, more recently, uh, Alistair Harris, who's the CEO of the ARC Group, uh, Analysis, Research and Knowledge, for whom James LeMessurier, the, the British military intelligence founder of the White Helmets, was working in 2013 when he established the White Helmets and the Free Syrian Police, is now establishing a White Helmet uh, brigade in the Palestinian areas of Tripoli. And of course, Alistair Harris has been involved in British um, MI6 intelligence infiltration of Lebanese military and security and political institutions. So, you know, the, the point is that this idea of the White Helmets becoming a global franchise is now uh, coming true as predicted, um, and we're seeing them popping up just about everywhere. So I guess the doubling down by Josh Rogan, he's doing his job, he's, he's protecting the brand, he's uh, sweeping all the criticism and the accusations, uh, very credible accusations levered against the White Helmets under the carpet in order for them to, to pop up uh, as the humanitarian outreach agency in Ukraine. Yes, Sorry, that I was long. <laughs> I, I think it's also uh, worth noting that, you know, what is the point of um, having these types of auxiliaries on the scene, as we'll show you with the hospital uh, footage mm. in Mariupol in a minute, Mike, it's it's to generate the images, yes. uh, which yeah. then get transmitted 
um, to to the global media, and uh, and certainly uh, just uh, briefly, Vanessa, because we're going to move um, a little bit mm. on on this, but um, th that's really the whole point. Really, that's the main purpose, isn't it? Of of the white helmets, it's it's the media images that they produce, and then the how yeah. that affects the public opinion about the conflict. And don't forget that the white helmets were the primary promoters of the no-fly zone in Syria. So you're going to start to see the ratcheting up of propaganda to uh, elicit the, the no-fly zone from NATO member states. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Very yeah, good because point. everyone's screaming right now. Zelensky himself is mm -hmm. shouting, demanding a no-fly zone from the, show us that you're real Europeans, mm -hmm. show us that you care about the people of Ukraine institute a no-fly zone, but what, what is he really doing, Mike, but attempting to drag the world uh, into a war, right. a world war potentially as well. But okay, well, let, let's let's move on then. Let's uh, move to this first. Here's the UK government's uh, latest update on Ukraine this morning. Uh, it was probably posted yesterday, but sanctions imposed on Roman Abramovich, that was in the news yesterday, of course, uh, and uh, a number of others there, including uh, Dmitry Lebedev at the bottom. Uh, now, it was a bit embarrassing for the Foreign Office because they decided to push this tweet out yesterday, uh, sanctioned Dmitry Lebedev. But, uh, Patrick, that doesn't look like Dmitry Lebedev in the image. In fact, that's Dmitry Medvedev, the former pr president prime, and prime, prime, minister. prime minister of Russia, right? Yeah, that's so the wrong guy. That's the wrong guy, right? But it gets even better because uh, here is uh, Huffington Post. Uh, Foreign Office deletes embarrassing PR blunder after oligarch mix-up on Twitter. But unfortunately, the Huffington Post couldn't do much better either, uh, because at the end of this, they say that Dmitry Lebedev's family have been in the news recently because his son, Evgeny Lebedev, was appointed to the House of Lords in 2020, despite security concerns allegedly raised by spy organizations at the time. The Prime Minister has denied that he ignored security concerns when he decided to hand Lebedev a peerage, except that Evgeny Lebedev is not the son of Dmitry Lebedev. He is the son of Alexander Lebedev. Uh, and so they got it wrong as well. So they're busy taking the mickey out of the uh, Foreign Office and the Foreign Office deserved to have the mickey taken out of them, but uh, they made just as big a blunder. Who's the uh, author there, Mike? Uh, Kate Nicholson. Yes. Following in the footsteps of uh, Chris York, it seems. Uh, well, indeed, <laughs> yes. Uh, which takes us on to uh, the mail, uh, Russia's latest false flag. Well, this is the big story right now, um, and again, uh, you know, we'll give you a brief synopsis of this right now. But this is this is what the UK press, this is what the Western press is saying. They're calling it uh, Russia's latest false flag. Moscow accuses the U.S. of helping Ukraine with illegal bioweapons research on the Black Death, anthrax, rabbit fever, and frenzy of allegations to galvanize public support for Putin's war and justify the invasion. So there's a total absolute scramble right now, Mike, uh, on all fronts, especially on the U.S. front, because somebody within the U.S. State Department made a major faux pas, uh, along with the U.S. Senator that was asking her the question. We're talking about the uh, Assistant Secretary of State, Undersecretary uh, Victoria Nuland, uh, who herself is the architect of the violent coup uh, in, in Kiev in February of 2014. That's a historical fact. By the way, that's not debatable. She's back in government now, and uh, she was uh, in front of a Senate committee uh, just a few days ago, Mike, and uh, it seems like Marco Rubio was wanting to put these rumors to rest uh, that the Russians had been seeding out in the uh, global media with their alleged disinformation programs. Let's watch this incredibly, incredibly telling exchange here. 
from the U.S. Senate. Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. Well, that sounds like an admission. Well, what she's effectively doing there, she's confirming uh, everything that the Russians and the Chinese have been uh, uh, trying to raise into the, the conversation diplomatically as well in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so what she's inferring there, Mike, is that the research materials at these biolabs that supposedly didn't exist a couple of days ago, uh, they're either dangerous or they're illegal. Uh, and when I say illegal, it means that it would be in violation of the uh, convention uh, for the stockpiling of dangerous bacteriological uh, materials and retaining them as well. That's also in the United States, Britain, and the Soviet Union. Uh, that was effective in 1975. Okay. Now, what was what we didn't show there, which was Marco Rubio, the senator uh, from from the from Florida. He basically said, um, and if there's, this is what he said, and I'll quote, I'll more or less quote him. If there's a biological or a chemical attack in Ukraine, are you 100% uh, sure that it's Russia that's done, that's going to do it? Right. And of course, Newland said, I am absolutely sure that if there's an attack, chemical or biological, that Russia will be responsible for it. So it seems like they were setting up some kind of a narrative there, or that didn't go as planned. Maybe she wasn't supposed to say that. I don't know. What well, it thinking. certainly seemed like uh, he uh, asked the initial question. She gave that answer, and then he very quickly moved on the diversion of blaming it on Russia. Now, perhaps it is that they're setting up a narrative for uh, something which is planned for the not too distant future. Uh, there certainly seems to be hints of that narrative building in the mainstream press. And in politicians are, are uh, dropping that as well in the U.S. And we'll show you Boris Johnson's uh, actually directly said this. He's predicting right. this is going to happen. So the, what are they talking about? Well, we'll go to this story here. And this, this is the details that you need. This is uh, now over a month old uh, here, a month and a half old. This is armswatch.com. This is uh, Diliana. She was on this show before. She, her work is very well known uh, to our uh, viewers at the UK column. Documents expose U.S. biological experiments on allied soldiers in Ukraine and Georgia. And so uh, she's talking about the U.S. Department of Defense's Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Okay, And they funded 11 of these labs in Ukraine. This is under the banner of the Pentagon. And this is very similar to the Luger Center, uh, which is in Tbilisi, Georgia. And the biggest one, actually most expensive facility the Pentagon has uh, for this type of, quote, research is in Kazakhstan. And that's the Kazakhstan Science Center for Quarantine and Zoonotic Disease. And that's a BSL-3 uh, lab in Kazakhstan, $110 million mm -hmm. facility. Uh, so, in, But in Ukraine, there's quite a few of these. There's an additional two that were due to be constructed but were halted, uh, uh, delayed because of the war, one in Odessa and another in Kiev. Okay, so that's uh, 13 in total confirmed. Now, Russia's saying there's 24 of these facilities, but Diliana can definitely confirm just in terms of U.S. funding these ones. And what's interesting is a lot of these documents were on the U.S. Embassy's website, uh, Ukrainian Embassy, 
for the United States. It was on their website and they were removed before January uh, 25th or 26th. They're gone. Anyway, luckily they've been tracked. You can link, see the links at Arms Watch and also at Diliana's blog um, as well. But $80 million in US public funds have been allocated for the construction of these facilities. That's just what we know from the, uh, the federal registry uh, for uh, contracts. And uh, I think Black and Veatch is the name of the federal contractor that carried out the construction uh, and the, uh, the management uh, of these. There's other co contractors below that. Right. But um, that's the big, big contractor, the Halliburton, as, as it were, of this particular massive project. Okay. So, so this, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is actually happening, but yet this is what we see in terms of the gaslighting endless amount of uh, articles like this here. This is a Council on Foreign Relations mouthpiece, Foreign Policy Magazine, how U.S. bioweapons in Ukraine became Russia's new big lie. And you can see there's tons and tons of these types of denials and fact checks and so forth. So there's endless amount of them. So we're, we're told that this didn't happen. This wasn't happening. And the fact checkers, there's tons of these fact checks out beating down anybody and calling it Russian disinformation. Here's Glenn Greenwald talking to, putting this very, uh, this point, putting this perfectly with Tucker Carlson on his program, I believe yesterday. But uh, we have that exchange here. And I think Glenn Greenwald explains this as well as anybody. You can see this is our new so-called journalism now in 2022. Go ahead and roll this. The other point is any journalist who comes on the air and says that they can claim that they can state that these concerns are false or a byproduct of disinformation like journalists have been doing for weeks under the guise of fact checking is not telling the truth. All they know is that the Pentagon denies it. The CIA tells them it's not true. And then they equate that. They conflate that with proven fact, which is the number one problem in journalism that we're seeing very pervasively in this war. It's so shameful that anybody employed as a reporter would do something like that without doing any actual reporting whatsoever, even bothering to learn about the subject, and then to scold anyone for asking legitimate questions. So here's the problem that I have with it. Government does things that are secret. We don't always know what they are. Maybe in some cases that's legitimate. But to attack anyone who, American citizens who ask honest questions as tools of Russia seems to me so far out of bounds, I'm worried this is being established as a precedent. Well, as we know, this has been going on for five or six years, that anybody who questions the predominant mainstream narrative from the media, from the Democratic Party, are tools of Vladimir Putin, are Kremlin agents, are sympathizers for Moscow. This has been their tactic forever, and obviously it's escalated now. But so th this is the problem with this, the fact checkers. Here we are, we're in a war situation. It has World War III potential mm. ramifications. And you have a very real story that could really incite, it could really, it, it could inflame the conflict. Mm. This the biological research facilities clearly dealing with deadly pathogens. Now, whether these are research facilities or they're bioweapons developments, that's a very gray area, which we'll show you legally uh, in a minute, right. but Diliana's reports here uh, from some of these documents that many of them were visible before January 26th, but she reports here, the Pentagon has conducted biological experiments with potentially lethal outcomes on 4,400 soldiers in Ukraine and 1,000 soldiers in Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, former Soviet Republic. So according to leaked documents, all volunteer deaths should be reported within 24 hours in Ukraine 
48 hours in Georgia, and both countries are considered most loyal U.S. partners in the region with a number of Pentagon programs being implemented uh, in their territory. One of them is a 2.5 billion, that's billion, 2.5 billion Defense Threat Reduction Agency Biological Engagement Program, which includes research on bioagents, deadly viruses, uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, and studied on the local population. I just have to direct you to her work, and yes. you can go, and it's she's got all the links to all the relevant documents and there. And that, that will be linked under the... Uh under the video on the UK column website after the program. For the show notes here, but just, just the US government's uh, response to this is just absolutely incredible. Here's Ned Price. Uh, this is the State Department spokesperson fresh out of his nine year stint with the CIA. Russia's inventing false pretexts in an attempt to justify their own horrific actions in Ukraine. And he goes on, uh, Washington is in full compliance with its obligations under the Chemical Weapons Convention and Biological Weapons Convention, and it does not develop or possess such weapons anywhere. And the plot thickens, Mike. Look at this exclusive from Reuters here. I believe this is fresh off the press. The WHO says it advised Ukraine to destroy pathogens in health labs to prevent disease spread. So the WHO and Teodros is now involved in this. Who funds the WHO, by the way? Oh, U.S., U.K. And the Bill and Melinda Gates yes, Foundation is the third biggest funder. China also funds. There's other people that chip in. But the w, So what is the WHO? What's their involvement in this? And so here is the problem. This is the problem here. This is a great piece by Gary Samore. Who is he? He's in charge. He was in charge of negotiating America's position with the Obama administration regarding safety on chemical and biological weapons. Nobody is checking for violations on biological weapons conventions. So remember what Ned Price just said, the CIA stroke State Department spokesperson, and this is what the actual people negotiating the position said. These types of facilities that research and produce biological agents like vaccines, antibiotics, vitamins, biological pesticides, food, can also produce biological weapons. These are dual-use labs. This is the expert here from the U.S. government. Some pathogens and legitimate medical and industrial uses can also be used for bioweapons. That's a fact. That's a reality. And he goes on. Here's the political opposition to biological weapons verification. The Pentagon expressed fears that inspections of biodefense installations would compromise national security or lead to false accusations of treaty violations. Do you see what we're looking at here, Mike? This is getting interesting, isn't yes. it? So nobody's checking. That's the problem. And here and now, how does Big Pharma fit into this? Well, this is how they fit in. The Department of Commerce in America opposes any intrusive international inspections on behalf of the pharmaceutical and biotech industries. Such inspections might compromise trade secrets, officials contended, and or interfere with medical research or industrial production. Well, guess what? Who's involved with these offshore labs in the former Soviet states, Mike? Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Well, Big Pharma's involved. Gilead Pharmaceuticals is involved in a big way. And as Diliana reported, uh, the, the, the Luger Center in Tbilisi, all the contractors, the U.S. ones, have diplomatic immunity yeah. and diplomatic license plates. There's a level of classification here. So based on what I've just showed you there 
And based on what we know from official documents, this is a black box. You can't know what's going on. You don't know what's inside. It's paid for by the U.S. public money. It's paid for by the U.S. taxpayer. Does anybody see a problem here? We don't see any explanations. We only see denials. But yet we have all this evidence. Right. And we're going to show a little bit more evidence just after this video clip. But, but introduce this. So this is the Speaker of the House. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the third most powerful politician. This is third in command. If the, if the president and the vice president, should something tragic befall them, we hope that they, that doesn't happen, really. But this is the person that's going to take over. And she has got a lot to say about these bioweapons. Listen to this. Well, I, I had um, last week and this week conversations with the Speaker of the, of the Parliament of Ukraine and, that was, and, and, and correspondence that he sent us and the rest. That has always been one of the things they asked for. But they know that we can't go there. Uh, the, the, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World War III. A Putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Convention. Putin, who uh, threatens use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear, and the rest. So they know that we can't, but it's the ask. Now, he was uh, this morning more. Let's if we can't have an if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. And that is, what that is, is that uh, there are planes that the, that the um, Ukraine pilots are trained on, and these are some of the planes that are in Poland. Poland said that they would do it if America said yes. America said yes, and now they want backfill. That's, you know, in other words, if we give these to Ukraine, then we want to... Um, but his, this morning he was less on the on the ask for the um, uh, the policy, more on let us do it. Help. Third in command of the United States of America. What has happened to your country? Between Biden and Pelosi, I don't really know what to say. And Kamala well, Harris was just in Poland. I don't know if you caught any of that. Uh, well, it was hugely uninspirational. Yes. She was cackling. Uh, it's, it's, I, I'm scared. Uh, a lot of people should be, yes. rightly so. Well, look, just before we uh, ask Vanessa for a little bit of commentary, I just want to put this on screen uh, because this is from the uh, United States of America. It's an agreement between the US and Ukraine, a treaty, as it were, it was signed in 2005. And you were talking about, Patrick, the World Health Organization um, expressing concerns to Ukraine about the protection of these uh, biological agents within these labs. But this is 2005, Patrick, and this is what this says. In order to assist Ukraine in preventing the proliferation of technology, pathogens, and, and expertise that are located in, at the Scientific Research Institute of Epidemiology and Hygiene, uh, the Ukrainian Scientific Research Anti-Plague Institute, uh, the Central Sanitary Epidemiological Station, and other facilities in Ukraine identified by the Ministry of Health of Ukraine, uh, and that could be used to, for the development of biological weapons, the U.S. State Department of Defense shall provide assistance to the Ministry of Health in Ukraine at no cost. Okay, it goes on to say the Ministry of Health of Ukraine should use all material, including equipment, instruments, and other supplies, training of personnel and services provided in accordance with this agreement, exclusively for the purpose of preventing the proliferation of technology, pathogens, expertise, and expertise that are located at facilities in Ukraine that could be used for the de development of biological weapons. So that is a treaty in 2000, signed in 2005, between the US and the Ukraine, which acknowledges the existence of these uh, 
these institutions, that they have material on site which could be used for the development of biological weapons. Um, and there's an acknowledgement there that that material has to be protected in the event of what? I mean, so is there any excuse, therefore, for any suggestion from the uh, US government or the media or the British government uh, that, the, that the Russians will have obtained this material um, when it was already understood and in treaties that that material would be protected in the event of some situation arising? Well, especially for what, the last two months, they've been screaming that the Russians are going to invade tomorrow, and they kept saying this over and over. You thought at some point there, wouldn't you go in to shut these labs down and commandeer the uh, contents of them and you know keep them safe? Why is this an issue all of a sudden mm -hmm. right now? So, and so now uh, the Chinese and the Russians are all over this. They're not going to let go, uh, and they're really going to press hard. I think the U.S. has really been caught out here, and they're not being forthcoming uh, with their explanations. And I'm going to sort of chastise the mainstream media, because do you guys not see a story here? Do you not see a potential risk? If anything, if anything, if you're trying to make a case that Russia is the morally um, uh, evil party in this conflict, uh, certainly uh, you've just handed Russia uh, a massive gift uh, in this story. Uh, so Vanessa, I've got a little uh, bit that I want to ask you questions on in a second, but, but what are your thoughts on that, first of all? Um, well, I mean, you're, you're quite right. Not only is Boris Johnson and various other officials making announcements of the potential of a chemical attack, of course, by, by the Russians, um, but the chatter among Ukrainian uh, commentators on Twitter before I was suspended um, are also um, positing the idea of a chemical attack, particularly in Mariupol. Uh, which, of course, is the scene of the alleged hospital attack that we're going to, to discuss. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there is a very high risk of uh, the White Helmet's equivalent uh, turning up in Ukraine. And, of course, what's that going to elicit? The potential of no-fly zones, the potential of further involvement. Um, I don't know whether NATO member states are going to commit troops uh, to this war yet. Um, so I'm not quite sure how they're going to respond to it. But of course, <clears throat> that will up the propaganda against Russia. But there's one major point that I, I think they, you know, the West is very good at underestimating the power of its enemy. And it's doing that right now with Russia. It believes that because it's wiped RT and Sputnik and the Russian media outlets from the board, it has uh, total control of the narrative, but it doesn't. The Russian foreign uh, ministry, the Ministry of Defense, are absolutely on the ball with, with backing up uh, their counterclaims with evidence. And, you know, the West is not dealing with an underfunded media in Syria or Iraq or Libya or Venezuela or Yemen or Palestine. It's dealing with a country that has had decades of preparing itself for this level of propaganda and it's pushing back hard. Yes. Okay, well let's uh, let's just look at some of the propaganda coming out of the British government at the moment. So this is uh, uh, their latest update from Ukraine this morning, update on Ukraine. Uh, Russian backed Assad regime in Syria has used chemical weapons on eight occasions according to UN/OPCW investigations. 
Russia has amplified the Assad regime's unsuccessful attempts to cover up its chemical weapons use, including by making allegations of planned Western-backed chemical attacks that never happened. Uh, but of course, Vanessa, uh, there are lots and lots of questions to be asked about the OPCW, and I recommend people have a look at this article, How the OPCW Censored Science, uh, How the OPCW Syria Probe Censored Science by Aaron Maté uh, from the Grey Zone. Um, but, but just before I get you to comment on this, uh, yesterday in the UN Security Council, uh, James uh, Karaoke, uh, the, uh, the UK ambassador to the UN, said this, the parallels with Russian action in Syria are clear. Regretted, regret, sorry, regrettably, the comparison also extends to chemical weapons. As we see the familiar specter of Russian chemical weapons disinformation raising its head in Ukraine. He went on to say, Russia has a long history of deflection, denial, and obstructive behavior when it comes to chemical weapons. In 2017, Putin claimed that uh, Khan Shikun attack, for which the expert and impartial OPCW-UN joint investigative mechanism found the Assad regime responsible, was staged by the West. So that's uh, what the British government has been pushing out in the last 24 hours. Uh, I'm very interested in what you would say to that. What can I say? I mean, you know, it's just an endless stream of hypocrisy from the West. Um, the OPCW scandal has never been given a fair, or the inspectors have never been given a fair hearing. Why? Because they want to effectively um, suppress the information that is going to reveal the West, in particular the UK, the US and, and France, as um, war criminals. Uh, don't forget that they bombed Damascus almost immediately after the alleged chemical attack before the OPCW inspectors had even been able to enter the area. Um, so, you know, right now, I mean, I think what we're seeing is, is the West desperately trying to defend its own appalling record of genocidal um, military adventurism globally and trying to hold Russia as the scapegoat. I mean, as you've just pointed out, it's just been, uh, or rather it's just been exposed, but of course, Diliana had exposed it previously. A number of other articles had exposed Obama's involvement in the setting up of the biolabs. I believe actually George Soros money through a kind of outreach agency is also behind the establishment of a number of those biolabs. Um, and so, you know, we're seeing this deflection, this projection onto Russia of the crimes of the West. And most thinking people are going to start seeing through it if they haven't already. Yes. Okay, well, let's uh, come on to the next uh, graphic that the government pushed out this morning. Uh, a Novichok nerve agent was deployed by Russian military intelligence on the streets of Salisbury on March 2018. Novichok, a banned chemical weapon, was developed in the Soviet Union. Russia continued the program. Uh, Russia made up to 40 different accounts of the event, seeking to distract and point the blame elsewhere. Um, and uh, well, just in time, of course, uh, if you remember, this is uh, uh, this is the um, lady in, uh, in Amesbury who was... Uh, John Sturgis. Uh, John Sturgis, thank you. Uh, who was allegedly Novichok poisoned uh, following the Skripal event. And if the BBC here reported that uh, the substance that killed a woman in Amesbury, Don Sturgis, was the same Novichok nerve agent that poisoned Sergei and Yulia Skripal, ex uh, experts have confirmed. Except they didn't quite confirm that because they didn't mention the word Novichok in their uh, in their report. So first of all, 
Again, it was the OPCD, OPCW that pushed, uh, that did this investigation. Uh, I'm not going to read uh, the details of this. If you want to freeze the screen uh, later on, you can do that. But basically, there were, this was the report into the death of uh, Don Sturgis. Uh, the team was briefed on the identity of the to toxic chemical identified by the United Kingdom and was able to review analytical results. And they allegedly uh, then uh, examined some samples provided by the uh, UK government. Uh, but this was the key thing. The, to the toxic chemical compound which displays the toxic properties of a nerve agent is the same toxic chemical that was found in the biomedical and environmental samples relating to the poisoning of the Skripals. Um, uh, but then it goes on to say the name and structure of the identified toxic chemical are contained in the full classified report of the Secretariat, which was available to states parties, but it wasn't available to the media. So the BBC uh, claimed that it absolutely definitively was Novichok. Uh, was never stated uh, publicly by the OPCW, so that was came via some government briefing. So you're saying they haven't named, the OPCW didn't name Novichok specifically? Not specific, They said correct. it's the same agent. That's correct. Uh, with and, and by the way, the Charlie Rowley, Don Sturgis story was that Charlie Rowley, months after the uh, alleged Novichok attack, he was meandering down the country lane, found a, 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 a shrink-wrapped bottle of uh, perfume from the pound shop, on the side of the road or something, or yes. in a bin, and decided, oh, I'm going to bring it home to my uh, girlfriend or partner. And she opened it, sprayed, and then all of a sudden, you know, died of Novichok. Right. I mean, it's the whole, it's the most ridiculous uh, story, story narrative that you can imagine. And somehow that passed as, uh, as, as sort of plausible by the mainstream press. Nobody questioned it at all. Nobody. Well, keep, keep that thought in mind. So look, here's what Jeremy Hunt said. The recklessness of the Russian state in bringing a nerve agent to the UK was never proved. Uh, and total disregard for the safety of the public is appalling and irresponsible. But you're talking about what passed the muster of the mainstream press. Let's not forget that the chief medical officer for England uh, made this statement that if you get Novichok on your, on your clothes or your personal property, wash your clothes and wipe down any personal items Shoes, shoes and bags with a cleansing or baby wipes before disposing of them in the usual way. This was the chief medical officer at the time, the equivalent of Chris Whitty, saying this, talking about a, a weapons-grade nerve agent is what we were being told at the time, and she was saying baby wipes will sort it out. Yeah, they said it was the most dangerous nerve agent known to man, five times more lethal than VX, right? Right. And it, it didn't uh, kill the script owls, apparently. Uh, it's more like the symptoms they had were fentanyl poisoning, if you really want to dig down deep into could, it. Could well have been. So why why is the government mentioning this at this time, aside from the Russian propaganda situation? Well, they've launched uh, an inquiry now into Don Sturgis, and they've now appointed the chairman of that, and that inquiry into the Don Sturgis death will begin on the 17th of March. So we are going to see from the 17th of March on major mainstream media coverage of an inquiry into this. And are they going to ask about baby wipes? I don't think so. But let's uh, move on because this was the next thing they said. They had to bring uh, Navalny back in again, Patrick. So so we're absolutely being bombarded. But this is, again, is setting up this narrative that, that Russia uh, is associated in some way with chemical and biological weapons ready for the blame game in a few days' time, should there be some kind of event in Ukraine. Oh, the Navalny uh, poisoning plot is even more tenuous than the other ones. Uh, it's just incredible. So that's, uh, that's amazing they threw that one in there. Yes. Uh, so, right, let's, uh, let's just move on to regime change, uh, because uh, clearly there's also a regime change narrative building up in the press at the moment. Uh, and uh, Sky News uh, pulled a blinder because they decided to roll out 
Mr. Russiagate himself, Christopher Steele. Let's have a brief listen to what he has to say. I think Putin can't be resurrected, as it were, in the international community. I don't see him surviving this in the long term. I think we've gone over a watershed here. And my view is, however, that in the short term, we're going to see probably increased brutality from Russian forces and atrocities in Ukraine, sadly. But in the longer term, the economy and the sanctions and his isolation, both cultural and economic in the world, will tell and will lead to a change of regime in Russia. Is that the same Christopher Steele that made up that fictional document? That, yeah, the one uh, that was attempting regime change in the United States. Trump doing water yes. sports in a, in a Russian hotel or something. Yes, yes. And it was fake. Yeah, yes. is that the same guy? That's the same guy. The same guy. Right, let's bring on another guy because here's Chatham House uh, devising the strategy to deter Russia and weaken Putin. This is also calling for regime change. And who has written this? Jamie Shea. Who's Jamie Shea? Former NATO. Uh, he's currently uh, at the Royal Institute for International Affairs, but he's a retired member of NATO. He was a Deputy Assistant Secretary General for Emerging Security Challenges at NATO headquarters in Brussels until 2018. But he was also the spokesperson for NATO during the Kosovo War. And he famously said this. Uh, he said that the NATO killing of civilian adults and children in Kosovo is the cost to defeat an evil. That was his position about what NATO did in Kosovo. Now, Patrick, Vanessa, please explain to me um, how he can take that position uh, at the same time that NATO and the West are criticizing uh, Russia for what is going on in the Ukraine. Well, I'll say this and pass it to Vanessa for a comment. But I mean, if that kind of a statement, Mike, says that within the establishment, there is a belief that there are certain uh, things that are permissible uh, in what they consider warfare. All is fair in war. And so is that... Uh, you know, killing women and children in order to uh, cr create a, a public relations victory uh, and, and advance policy further or, or objectives further? Is, is that permissible? Is that, how common is that within the, within the hierarchy of the deep state or the government? I, that's a good question it I'd is. like to know. Uh, Vanessa. Uh, <laughs> again, what, what, what can I say? You know, when, when the U.S., um, and coalition, so the US and UK predominantly obliterated Raqqa and Mosul, uh, hitting predominantly residential areas to flush out ISIS that they fund and arm and equip anyway. So that was effectively an ethnic cleansing program. You know, the fact is, how can, how can we believe anything that these entities are saying? I just want to point out one thing. In 2020, uh, the UNGA passed um, a, a resolution combating the glorification of Nazism, neo-Nazism, and other practices that contribute to fueling contemporary forms of racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. Who were the two countries that refused to sign? The United States and Ukraine. And there's a couple of abstentions, weren't there, Vanessa, as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they point-blank refused to sign it. So, I mean, that kind of says everything, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does, especially when we look <laughs> at how the censorship uh, uh, machine is working on this war as well. Um, and, yeah, the uh, United Kingdom abstained, Pat. You're right. Just looked. 
Yeah, and you were recently, uh, you, you've been suspended, haven't you, from your social media account, <laughs> Vanessa? For, for what, yeah. commenting on this same topic? Uh, well, I, I, I'm pretty certain it came from the BBC, who, of course, have had a vendetta against me for a number of years now. Yeah. But I tweeted out the fact that the BBC, uh, in their latest BBC News report, had platformed a trainer of civilians who was wearing the SICH, the Sikh battalion, um, badge on his arm and the Sikh battalion was created by Svoboda which of course is the ultra-nationalist Nazi battalion or Nazi party sorry um, in Ukraine and here's the BBC making them the the poster boy of the Ukrainian resistance just as of course they made Al-Qaeda members the poster boys of the Syrian revolution and bang as soon as that went out literally about 10 seconds after my account was permanently suspended. <laughs> okay, nothing changes. Right, okay, well, let's let's just very briefly uh, talk about Liz Truss, uh, our lovely foreign secretary. Uh, Boris Johnson's uh, attack dog at the Atlantic Council is how I've headlined that. Why have I done that? Well, this is really a dig at the Daily Mail because uh, this was their headline uh, this morning, Sergei, or yesterday, Sergei Lavrov uh, says Russia didn't attack Ukraine and so on, but uh, the first paragraph says, Vladimir Putin's attack dog met with with Ukraine's, and I just find that really offensive, Patrick, because this is, uh, you know, whatever you think, this is a foreign minister of a sovereign state, and to to use this kind of language is appalling. So well, I've called. They're channeling their inner uh, news of the world, aren't they? That's well, that's what they're doing. Certainly, it seems like very Second World War in their propaganda. But anyway, uh, that, that's why that's why I chose to call uh, Liz Trust that. That's all she deserves. But look, this is she's speaking to the Atlantic Council yesterday, and this is what she said. It feels like a different world. We thought that energy crises, expansionism, and geopolitical strife were behind us. Now those illusions have been shattered. Uh, Russia built its capabilities in plain sight, violating its commitments and acting with impunity in Georgia, in Crimea, and beyond. We knew what Putin was doing. Uh, the world has woken up. The era of complacency is, is over. We must rise to this moment. We must pledge that never again will we allow such aggression to go unchecked. Uh, he has shaken the architecture of the global security. The invasion of Ukraine, she said, is a paradigm shift on the scale of 9-11. Uh, and how we respond today will set the pattern for the new era. Uh, but let me be clear, we're still not doing enough. We must double down uh, and we have to ramp up the global pressure on Putin. Uh, we must deepen our partnerships in other areas. And she talked about uh, AUKUS, uh, but also security in the Arctic Circle and so on. So uh, that's the position. It's a paradigm shift on the scale of what happened uh, following 9-11. Uh, which of course brought us into the whole war on terror, uh, all 20 years of warfare in Afghanistan and the complete annihilation of Iraq. Well, the, the, the point of 9-11 is, I won't belabor this, but the, that triggered Article 5. It's the only time I believe in history right. that Article 5 of NATO has been invoked. Uh, and they, they claimed that they were attacked by somehow by Afghanistan, who doesn't even actually have a standing army. Uh, so certainly that couldn't have been the state that attacked the United States, but nonetheless, it uh, flipped the switch, Mike, for uh, NATO to expand into Central Asia uh, and go for 20 years and accomplish absolutely nothing yes. in the process other than uh, windfalls of profits uh, for all of the various uh, people feeding at the trough of the military-industrial complex. And uh, don't forget about the heroin trade. Hey, you know, price of heroin dropped on the streets of Europe, record lows. So, hey. Wasn't a big loss, was it? They achieved something, I guess. Uh, they did. Uh, but look, let's move on to the propaganda again. And uh, we've mentioned the uh, situation with the hospital. 
Well, this is Mary Opal here. Uh, this was on the front page of every news. So this was the image of the day yesterday on every single uh, British newspaper and globally as well. You can see uh, you've got five men carrying a makeshift gurney there with a pregnant woman on. The allegation here is that Russia bombed a maternity hospital. So this would have been a fighter bomber, according to this narrative. So Russia would have had an air. So there, there should be videos of, because Russia hasn't been doing many airstrikes uh, around cities. So there should be lots of video footage of this, right. of, of the bombing raid, right? Really? I mean, <laughs> it's interesting that the, the pregnant woman on there has been accused by Russia of being a crisis actor. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of uh, um, pregnant women that are starring in this particular news story, and we'll take a look at a few of them. One of them is extremely interesting. But um, so this is a scene. This picture was used on every single right. cor uh, Western corporate mainstream media outlet. This was the defining image here of Putin's uh, barbarism, uh, according to all the various uh, headlines here. And so here is one of the uh, uh, video uh, that were done by Channel 4. And uh, of course, we'll ask Vanessa about Channel 4's uh, uh, exploits in Syria. But as you can see, you see this is a scene here. Lots of people crowded around where this bombing took place. So it's like, it's like everyone returned to the bomb site. To, and there's a few cars on fire. It's difficult to say exactly what, what happened here. Uh, this is the one of the stars there. She's you'll see her again. She's on the front, wrapping the bandage feverishly around the head of this woman. Is she wounded? Nobody knows. Babies in incubators. That's an obligatory shot as well for a good news package on brutality of evil dictators and a bloodstained mattress there. Uh, not much explanation as to who died there or what. No one seems to know much. Uh, but these images uh, are the defining images. You can see the crowd there and people walking towards the camera, very white helmet-esque white helmet yes. uh, in terms of just the basic staging. There's the bomb crater. That's interesting. Uh, what created that crater? Russia says, Mike, uh, that wasn't a, a bombing raid from the <coughs> Russian Air Force. They say it was a, a something placed there, perhaps a fertilizer bomb or something uh, to that effect. So, But you can see the scene here. So this is a square, and the hospital they're talking about in question is on the edge of the square. So apparently this bomb was, uh, according to the official narrative, was hit the middle of the square. The so blast instead, of the, the, a, a precision bomb landed in the middle of the square rather than landing in one of the buildings themselves. Exactly, Mike. Mike, you just destroyed the, their narrative uh, with one simple question. Uh, so here's the star of this, and she's an Instagram influencer. She does, does a lot of makeup work. Uh, she's in Mariupol here. Uh, and so she's become quite famous now uh, because of this. But there she is, uh, wounded apparently, making her own way down this blown out staircase there uh, with full of bags, carrying lots of stuff. So clearly she doesn't look that stressed. And these guys are just kind of looking on over her shoulder there. It's a bit strange, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, is this, is this, is, is there staging here? She does look at the camera in that kind of alluring, seductive way. What what is this? Is this for the press? Is this real war footage? I don't know what we're looking at here. Uh, uh, we'll go, uh, Vanessa. How about the Channel Four footage? You looked at that. You've seen Channel yeah. Four in action. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this is so reminiscent, as you said, of of the White Helmet enactments, right? 
Um, I mean, I think, Mike, you just mentioned the fact that there's a crater in the ground and yet the building behind it is, is intact. Um, the other thing that uh, the Russian uh, ministry, foreign ministry put out, in fact, Lavrov, uh, was the fact that actually the hospital was pretty derelict. It had, been, it had not been used as a um, maternity hospital for, for years. And actually it had been taken over by the Azov uh, neo-Nazi brigades and was being used as a military center. Now, where have we heard that before? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Channel 4 in particular, as you mentioned them, and I've been watching a number of their reports from supposedly inside Ukraine. Why do I say supposedly? Because you, you, you tend to have uh, people like Lindsay Hilson, the Channel 4 presenters against a backdrop um, telling you what's going on and then cutting to, for example, I saw one Lindsay Hilson report where she cuts to, she's talking about um, the threatening behavior of the Russian Navy in the Black Sea and they cut to Twitter footage. I mean, it clearly states at the bottom that this is from Twitter. So we have absolutely no verification of when this footage was taken, whether it was taken during a previous naval exercise, for example. Another report shows them simply showing you footage of dead bodies inside cars. Now, we've been hearing stories, particularly in Mariupol, of uh, the Ukrainian National Guard shooting people trying to leave via the Russian-established humanitarian corridors. They don't even count, they, they, they don't even proffer this as a potential explanation. It is quite simply the Russians have shot these, these drivers in their cars and left the bodies on the street. Right. So you're not even given any potential that there might be another context to, to the story they're presenting you with. And again, that is mirror image of what they did in Syria, particularly in East Aleppo. Pat, I think you'll remember in December 2016, the report by Parik O'Brien that I challenged him on and he actually emailed, exchanged with me. Um, where I picked him up on the claim that a um, um, uh, premature baby unit had been targeted underground in Aleppo. And the, the video footage actually came from Al Jazeera, not from Channel 4. And, and this is, of course, almost always the MO of, of Channel 4, BBC, etc. They'll be using stringers on the ground that will be providing them with the footage that they then use to produce the narratives that they need to produce to protect um, state policy, basically. Yes, um, I'm sorry, Vanessa, those, those stringers on the ground, of course, probably mm -hmm. in many cases, trained by BBC Media Action and, and Thompson yeah. Reuters Foundation and, and part yeah. of the whole White Helmets infrastructure. Absolutely. Um, and just going back to, to this particular footage of the premature baby unit, there was one section um, of the Channel 4 report that I seriously confronted Parik O'Brien on. And I said, you can't possibly tell me that what they're taking out of that incubator is a live baby or even a human baby. To me, it looks like a doll. They're carrying it around like a rugby ball. He argued the fact, but then later I noticed that in the Channel 4 report, that section had been edited out, but the, the entire report maintained its credibility according to channel four so this is what i'm saying to people be aware that this is what they do they will use for we got frozen yes we're frozen there for a second we'll, we'll try to the reconnect. Uh, all of back. them 
Yeah, all of them are using the same footage, the same photographs. Who are they supplied by? If that area is effectively occupied by the Azov battalions or by the, the, the fascist brigades, who's supplying them with that information? That's what people need to be asking themselves because these guys aren't on the ground. Most of them left after Putin threatened them with the gulag if they produce fake news against Russia. So the majority of them left Kiev, left Ukraine, right? I, I might add too that uh, I believe the Russian ambassador to the United Nations reported to the UN that that particular uh, area in Mariupol, that that particular hospital had been commandeered by the Azov battalions. So that was days before this uh, uh, supposed uh, Russian bombing there. So what could have happened, a series of events could have transpired. Who knows what the truth is? We can't say for sure. But certainly, it doesn't make any sense that Russia would warn the UN uh, and then go and then sort of, you know, dro drop a Moab uh, mm -hmm. on the square. It doesn't make any sense. So, uh, well, well, we'll listen to what the Russian DOD said. Here's the official statement from uh, the Russian Def Department of Defense here. Uh, we'll go ahead and roll this, uh, this video statement. But Moscow points out it's a base for the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, who kicked out babies and everyone else a long time ago. Absolutely no ground target operations were carried out by Russian aviation in the region of Mariupol. The alleged airstrike is a completely staged provocation to maintain anti-Russian agitation among the Western audience. We have repeatedly stated that medical institutions in Mariupol stopped their regular work at the end of February. All staff and patients were dispersed by the nationalists. The hospital building, due to its advantageous tactical location close to the city centre, has been converted into a stronghold of the Azov National Battalion. Photos of the hospital ground contain evidence of two separate staged explosions near the hospital. The nature of the external and internal damage to the building may mislead the mass non-professional audience in Europe and the USA for which this production was made, but not experts. I would like to emphasize that all these and other war crimes in Mariupol are committed by the raiders locked up in the city. We have repeatedly warned that as the ring around them shrinks, the number of Nazi provocations will increase. They have nowhere to run from there. So, you know, we've seen plenty of footage, Mike, uh, of uh, these uh, battalions having their artillery in residential areas, uh, you know, launching mortars from rooftops. We've seen this in uh, Donetsk and Lugansk mm -hmm. as well. We've seen this in Idlib with the terrorists there. Uh, with al-Nusra and all the rest of them. So, and, and also we, there's plenty of footage that circulated early of people trying to get out of Mariupol and uh, in some cases were actually shot um, by people trying to keep people from escaping. They weren't allowing the residents to escape. Why would they do that? Why would you want to keep the residents in the city? Why would you not want the civilians to, well, to evacuate? human shields, the propaganda opportunity, I mean, there are many reasons. Yeah, and this has been reported for weeks, Mike, for weeks mm. since the beginning of this uh, conflict, those reports have been coming out. Mm. So for the West to stand there and say, oh, that's not happening, and it's the Russians, uh, is totally disingenuous. But uh, yeah. Yeah, which brings us on to Boris. Boris Johnson. So the, the chemical weapons talking point here. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Telegraph yesterday. There's the famous hospital shot. Look at the headline though, Mike. It's not really about the hospital, is it? Russia plotting chemical attack. 
So the talking point has been unleashed, uh, and the prime minister decided to weigh on this as well in his objective, uh, his objective fashion. Let's listen to what Boris Johnson has to say. I'll make you one other prediction, by the way, which is that uh, the stuff that you're hearing about uh, chemical weapons, this is straight out of their playbook. They start saying that uh, there are chemical weapons uh, that uh, have been stored by uh, their opponents or by the Americans. And so when they themselves deploy uh, chemical weapons, as I, as I fear they, they may, they have a, a, a sort of a maskirovka, a, a fake story ready to go. And you've seen it in Syria. Uh, you, you, you saw it in, even in the UK when... This is what you expect next then? Look, I, you know, it's, I, I just note that that is what they're, they're already doing. It is a cynical, uh, barbaric uh, government, I'm afraid. Well, Boris said it, Mike. Why should we question well, any of that? Well, it must be true then, because everything that comes out of Boris's mouth is true. Incredible, incredible amount of, uh, of spin and propaganda there. I really don't know where to start. Where to start. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org and there are options to help us out there. Also, share our material, if you could, on the various platforms that we're still on. Um, and uh, if you would like to support us through the shop, that would be fantastic as well. But uh, Right, now let's move on to this. Uh, this uh, Another update on Ukraine was pushed out uh, this morning, uh, or yesterday, sorry. Uh, for every Ukrainian passport holder, they will uh, now produce a streamlined uh, process. Lots of people saying this is not good enough uh, because, of course, many people have run away from Ukraine because the bombs are raining from the skies. Uh, many people have run from Ukraine, so they've left their passports behind, if they even had a passport at all. So, but anyway, the UK is saying they're going to streamline the process, going to make it easier. And on Monday, they're going to launch a campaign uh, to encourage, uh, a bit like clap for the NHS or something, but they're, they're going to launch a campaign to encourage every uh, householder in the UK to um, you know, sponsor a Ukrainian into the country and uh, put them up for a while. Um, what? How could that possibly go wrong, Patrick? Oh, I can't see any potential problems there, Mike. Especially with the foster home system, uh, no problems there, right? Uh, nothing, nothing to see there. Nothing to see. Yes. Uh, now, look. Let's uh, just put this on. Uh, just very briefly, want to talk about this. This is uh, an article in the uh, in the BBC. Uh, Ukraine war images reveal scale of destruction in Mariupol. And of course, if you if you listen, if you look at that headline, you you're expecting to see flattened buildings and uh, you know scenes similar to what we saw in Aleppo, for example. But actually, what are the pictures that they are providing? Uh, well, we've got, uh, what, some the notorious, uh, the notorious uh, hospital, hospital there. Blast. Uh, there's the uh, notorious um, bomb crater, indeed. the Russian bomb here. Uh, and so on. So, uh, but look, I just wanted to compare that bomb crater, Patrick, uh, with this bomb crater here. Well, in fact, this isn't the bomb crater, it's just a crater which was caused by an explosion in Texas. Uh, at a fertilizer plant. Uh, and my point here is that it is impossible to tell from a hole in the ground what caused the hole in the ground. So this is a very similar looking hole in the ground caused by a fertilizer plant explosion. And as you see, you were making, so just reinforce the point you were making earlier on, uh, that it's impossible to tell what created that hole. Especially when there's no uh, shrapnel from any bombs or missiles in the actual crater in question. Uh, it does lead one to question, but there might be an alternative hypothesis. Is Indeed. That, is that allowed uh, to have an alternative hypothesis? Uh, no, it certainly is not. As uh, Vanessa has discovered, uh, you immediately get kicked off every platform going. So the narrative trumps any alternative 
hypothesis. It does, right? yes. I see. Uh, and a couple of other pictures here. We get to see what Mariupol looked like before and uh, what it looks like now. Now, of course, the trees have no leaves on them because it's winter. Uh, but uh, the buildings are, there is damage, of course, but uh, they're still standing uh, and, uh, and so on. So let's just uh, zoom in on that. And, uh, you know, my point is, where is the evidence of this wide-ranging uh, war criminal activity that's alleged of Russia? I don't see it still. No, no, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of evidence of shelling, of fighting, uh, but you're not going to get a straight story from our media on this. They've already proven that they're absolutely skewed to one side, almost in a, in a religious fashion. You know, they literally won't even go to any alternative uh, explanations or uh, any point of view other than uh, what they have established, which is very, very rigid, which mm -hmm. is that uh, Putin's on a blitzkrieg. Uh, he woke up one day and decided to reinstitute re the Soviet Union, and uh, he wants to take over Eastern Europe. He, Liz, Liz Truss herself said this in an yes. interview on Sky, that he wants to take over large swaths of Eastern Europe. I don't think he's ever stated that he ever was going to do that. Russia's been very specific. What we're saying is, hey, we're, far be it from us to take any sides in a war, but our point is, if you look at the facts and what preceded the conflict, um, it, it didn't surprise us what happened. We were surprised at the speed in which it happened and, and the depth, but uh, we saw this coming because Russia had been warning about this for a decade. Uh, and so it was really just a question of time. They drew red lines, but everybody's standing back with their hands up saying, oh, I can't believe uh, what Russia's done here. I can't believe what Putin's doing. Uh, it's just uh, he's trying to destroy democracy and uh, destroy our way of life in the West. Mm. That's the narrative. Anything that deviates from that, not entertained. Uh, now, speaking of uh, narratives, um, what's uh, Facebook coming up to? Well, it's this, this is the, uh, the, the Nazi uh, glorification issue, okay? So Facebook has announced they're lifting their moratorium uh, of Nazi glorification, right? So you can, and you can accuse, uh, or you can call for the death of uh, what, Russian troops? Uh, uh, we'll come on to that in a second, but yeah, yes. So that's basically it. So um, that would have been a good setup for this, but we'll get to that in a second. But so this is Mark Zuckerberg um, in a speech in not so long ago in October of 2019. And we're talking about war censorship here. There's a war on. It's, this is a world war now. This is a proxy war. It's West, NATO versus Russia. Ukraine is the proxy pitch, okay? Mm -hmm. That's clearly what's happening because the Western media is completely invested in this, as is the financial system. This is a world war. The only, it just hasn't become a full shooting world war yet, but it is economically mm -hmm. and in terms of information warfare. There's no argument about that. Mm -hmm. So here's Mark Zuckerberg talking about information and war. Listen to this two, three years ago. Go ahead. Back when, when I was in college, uh, our, our country had just gone to war uh, in Iraq. And the mood on our campus was disbelief. A lot of people felt like we were you know, acting without hearing a lot of important perspectives. And you know, the toll on, on soldiers and their families and our national psyche was, was severe. Yet most of us felt like we were powerless to do anything about it. And I remember feeling that if more people had a voice to share their experiences, then maybe it could have gone differently. And those early years shaped my belief that giving more people a voice gives power to the powerless 
and pushes society to get better over time. Well, he seems to have done a complete U-turn then. Yeah, so I guess he didn't really, uh, didn't go very deep in his psyche, did it? So uh, let's just look at Mr. Zuckerberg and uh, Facebook, or we'll call it Meta now, right? Mm -hmm. It's the Metaverse. So, so effectively, this is what's been happening over the last month with uh, Facebook and Meta. This is Mark Zuckerberg, and that is, whoa, that's the Azov Battalion badge there. That's their insignia. You can see the, uh, the black sun rising in the background and that sort of quasi-swastika symbol. Uh, take that very seriously because... That's the Azov battalions. This is the Ukrainian armed forces. They're in every single regiment of Ukraine's military now, thanks to the recent reforms by President Zelensky. Uh, and this effectively equals, and I'm going to make this argument because this has been, this argument's been made by a number of people. These aren't neo-Nazis. Mm -hmm. These are actual Nazis. Mm -hmm. These are people that glorify the Waffen-SS, uh, that stand under uh, you know, uh, Stefan Bandera and the Nazi march uh, uh, towards uh, Stalingrad, okay? So, so effectively, Azov battalions is the equivalent, it's the modern-day equivalent of the Nazi and the Waffen-SS. So it's not neo-Nazi, these are actual Nazis. They're paramilitaries, they're, they're armed, they're ideologically driven, they glorify uh, the Holocaust, and so forth, okay? So that's who Mark Zuckerberg is basically running cover for. So our question is, is this an endorsement by Mark Zuckerberg of Nazism? Is this an endorsement of meta, of Nazi values, of Nazi history, of, of the reemergence of militant Nazism in Europe? Is this an endorsement of that by Facebook and meta and all the employees at Facebook and the CTO and the CFO and the board and the shareholders. Is that what this is? That's a fair question it's to a, ask. Yes. Because they are suspending people left, right, and center for warning people about the Azov battalions by posting insignias and trying to educate people. I know plenty of people personally that have already been suspended for doing just that by Facebook. What is going on here? Um, so that brings us on to uh, Zelensky. Well, speaking of Zelensky, we just found this old choice clip from the archive. I think this is circa 2016, uh, where El Presidente uh, Vladimir Zelensky, when he was an actor, when he was doing stage uh, prop, he uh, basically spells it right out here, uh, what a Nazi uh, cauldron his country has been all these years, especially post-Maidan with the US-backed violent coup that overthrew the democratically mm. elected president uh, in 2014. Listen to Zelensky here. Для нас, европейцев, это нормально. Сегодня наш президент, ну, самый главный, который у нас, самый главный президент, Барак Обама, пообещал, что мы скоро вступим в НАТО. Пока, естественно, на правах американского прихвостня. Если есть возможность, друзья, вышлите, пожалуйста, мне книгу Гитлера «Майнкамф». А то у нас разметают. Бывало, утром выхожу на балкон и начинаю делать зарядку. От сердца к солнцу, вот так. Ну, что я вам рассказываю, вы же так... Okay, so he's doing a stand-up routine, but of course, that type of routine is 
taking the mickey out of reality. It is. He's basically saying that uh, the country is overrun with actual Nazis. Mein Kampf is sold out, mm -hmm. and uh, everyone does their morning salute, does the Roman salute uh, when they wake up in the morning. So he's he's kind of doing it in a bourgeois tongue-in-cheek fashion. But what he's really saying is the reality there, and the reality is, well, that man, that comedian who played the president, ended up becoming president mm -hmm. just uh, a couple of years later, and now he is being uh, propped up by actual Nazi battalions. That's the only thing keeping him uh, in power. And this is why he's stalling for time. This is why he won't uh, uh, agree to any real meaningful ceasefire. And they're trying to drag it on to get the foreign fighters in, to get the weapons in, to create a quagmire. That's UK policy. That's US policy. That is NATO central planning. They do not want this war to end any time soon. I guarantee you this. Listen to their words watch their actions, and it tells you all you need to know. So? So so looking at the media coverage here, look at this. Oh. Okay, this is the media coverage. Uh, if we go to this slide here. Uh, so how Western media covered Zelensky before the war started. Look at this. Just some clippings here, Mike. This is before the war. Look at all this. Far-right problems. Zelensky deepens alliance with the far-rights. The IMF ranks Ukraine as Europe's poorest country, hate crimes against LGBT people in Ukraine, Ukraine's Nazi problem, and dead journalists in Ukraine. This is Zelensky's Ukraine. Um, the media seemed to be concerned about this before January, Mike, mm -hmm. uh, but something happened. They all did a vault face now. Now he's Churchill. Uh, he's the sort of the reincarnation of Winston Churchill now. How did this happen? Like, so they're just ignoring that this is a reality. We keep hearing this. There's no Nazis in Ukraine. You keep hearing this talking point. What can we say? Right, let's move on to this then. This is tweeted out uh, yesterday by the uh, Russian embassy in the USA. Uh, here it is. We demand that US authorities stop the extremist activities of Meta, uh, take measures to bring the perpetrators to justice. Users of Facebook and Instagram did not give the owners of these platforms the right to determine the criteria of truth and pit nations against each other. So what was uh, Russia getting upset about? Well, it was this uh, Reuters exclusive uh, Facebook and Instagram to temporarily allow calls for violence against Russians. Uh, that's how Reuters covered it. And they, uh, uh, they put this out as well on Twitter. As a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we have temporarily made alliances. This is a spokesperson for Meta, for forms of political expression that would normally violate our rules, like violent speech, such as death to the Russian invaders, we still won't allow credible calls for violence against Russian civilians. So Reuters was claiming they'd seen internal uh, memos uh, distributed by email. Uh, and so this is what uh, Meta, Meta is alleged to have said inside these emails. We're issuing a spirit of the policy alliance to allow T1 violent speech uh, that would otherwise be removed under the hate speech policy when A, targeting Russian soldiers except prisoners of war, or B, targeting Russians, Russians where it's clear that the context is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, e.g. content mentions the invasion, self-defense, etc. Uh, we're doing this because we've observed that in this specific context, Russian soldiers is being used as a proxy for the Russian military. The hate speech policy continues to prohibit attacks on Russians. So that's what they said, uh, Patrick, and that's uh, their position now. It's so, a slippery slope, isn't it? Because then they start defining who's a combatant, who's a non-combatant. The West are already saying that the Russian people are responsible for this war. That's why they're trying to destroy their economy through sanctions and embargoes. 
So you, you can't have it both ways, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Facebook meta is taking a side in a war, a major war. They're, they're trying to advance the war itself. They're not calling for making statements, calling for peace or a ceasefire or anything like that with all of their power, with all of their billions, none of that. They're saying, go ahead and call for the assassination of the Russian president. Uh, go, go ahead and call for violence against Russian troops. And who knows, you know, how do you define who's a combatant and a non-combatant? Right, exactly. And, and uh, Vanessa, you know, we're staring at down the barrels of uh, new legislation, uh, which is going to censor a lot of people. Uh, and the justification that the British government made beginning in 2017 for the production of this legislation was to, to get violent extremist uh, terrorist content off uh, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and so on. But the truth is that has never happened. And when we look at Syria as an example, uh, there was never a particular restriction on uh, the posts from uh, the, the more extreme arms of the so-called Syrian opposition. Oh, yeah, and the fact that the BBC is clearly platforming uh, neo-Nazi battalion members in their BBC news without any reference to that, um, you know, it's extraordinary. And I'd, I'd just like to mention about the fact that Britain now is, Britain that has, uh, according to uh, leaked documentation, has been training the far-right battalions in the Ukraine, is now fast-tracking passports for Ukrainians uh, leaving the country. Now, I don't know if 2013, Ukrainian Pavlo Lapshin murdered 82-year-old Mohammed Salim in Birmingham and then placed bombs outside a further three mosques. Um, he belonged to the Wotan Jugend group, uh, which hold events at uh, Azov facilities, which is and is led by Azov member Alexei Levkin. And Azov member actually took part in the Christchurch massacre in Australia also. So one has to ask, without being accused of being far right, um, what's going to happen to the far right? elements that are going to be escaping from Ukraine and are now being fast-tracked into the UK? Very good question. Yes. And I can extend what uh, Vanessa has said there. What happens if the Ukraine is made a member of the EU and stands within the Schengen <laughs> visa zone? You then have the exactly. actual hotbed of real not militant Nazism, violent, ideological-driven Nazism in the Schengen zone. This is, this is what all the European parliamentarians are calling for. This is what the Ukrainians, this is what Zelensky is demanding, <clears throat> along with World War III. He wants to be a member of the EU as well. How dangerous is that? It's probably just as dangerous, Vanessa, as uh, making Turkey uh, a member of the European Union based on the sort of traffic of jihadism that we've seen from all the way from Uyghurstan uh, as far as, as Indonesia, all trafficking through Turkey, right? And what, what did Turkey do? Um, they kind of used some of these things to blackmail the EU uh, to get money to what? Handle refugees? Could this same thing happen again in Ukraine? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's very high risk. And, you know, imagine if they were to become, as Turkey is, of course, a NATO member state also. <laughs> so then you're bringing the two branches of, it, of, of violent extremism into NATO. Uh, I'll just make the point we mentioned on the program a couple of days ago that, uh, you know, Polish contacts uh, of mine uh, telling me that the Poland to Polish uh, 
population extremely concerned about the numbers of Ukrainians coming into Poland at the moment. The figure that I've seen in the Western media is around 150,000, but Polish media are suggesting it could be as much as a million. I'm taking that figure with a very large grain of salt, but I would imagine the truth is somewhere in between those two numbers. But nonetheless, once they're into Poland, they're into they're into the Schengen zone and that's it. That's right. And also I might add that uh, President Zelensky uh, voiced his condemnation of Russian humanitarian corridors that led into Russia or Belarus, that he forbids, effectively, he's forbidding his people uh, from going to Belarus or Russia to mm -hmm. flee uh, the war that he himself uh, is demanding to fight to the last man, uh, the last bullet, practically. So that's an extraordinary thing in itself. Okay, let's uh, look at the economic impact then, Patrick. Well, just quickly, you know, we talk about the Great Reset, Mike. It looks like Russia is doing its own reset now as a result of sanctions here. Look at this uh, Visa and MasterCard basically shutting it down. There's columns of Russian truckers in Europe that can't uh, access money for fuel mm -hmm. because their Visa and their MasterCards are no longer working. Well done, sanctions. But look at this, Surebank, this is uh, one of Russia's biggest uh, lenders here. There's two systems here, the Mir system and China's Union Pay. So they're probably going to be issuing cards now. Uh, okay, so you're going to have basically, if this advances, Mike, the way it looks like it's going to advance, uh, you're going to have potentially one of the biggest economic blocks in the world now uh, with a competitor to Visa and MasterCard. Now, yeah. this is going to take years to get on. And here we go. The move could allow Russia to make some payments overseas. Union Pay operates in 180 countries and regions. Visa and MasterCard said any transactions initiated with their cards issued in Russia will no longer work outside the country from March uh, the 10th. And finally, uh, Surebank is looking for the possibility of issuing cards for these uh, people. And this is all basically suspended as a result of the Ukrainian situation. Now, censorship. We talked about big tech censorship. And we'd like to think that there's some ethical companies out there that aren't as bad as Google, right? That there's some alternatives, right? Right. That we could go. If we if we get kicked off Twitter, we can go to Getter or we can go to... MeWe or Gab. MeWe or Gab. And they, they're not going to get involved in the wartime censorship, are they? So Google, what's the biggest alternative to Google? Where do you go for your searches? If uh, Well, DuckDuckGo, of course. DuckDuckGo. Yeah, I like DuckDuckGo. I sort of, I get behind DuckDuckGo. But sadly, DuckDuckGo uh, has shown itself, well, they've shown their true colors here. This is Gabriel Weinberg here. He, I guess he's the big boss at DuckDuckGo. Like so many others, I am sickened by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the gigantic humanitarian crisis it continues to create. Hashtag stand with Ukraine. We at DuckDuckGo have been rolling out search updates to downrank any sites associated with Russian disinformation. Right. So they're doing exactly what Google has been doing to everybody, including ourselves, uh, for the last uh, so many years, okay? And he follows up here. This is even better. In addition to downranking sites that we don't like or we think are associated with Russian disinformation or just disinformation, we also often place news modules and information boxes at the top of DuckDuckGo search results uh, where they are seen and clicked uh, the most uh, to highlight quality information like Wikipedia yeah. and uh, the WHO. Trusted sources. Trusted sources, yes. the BBC, for instance. So they're now in this game. I mean, is that the stupidest thing ever? That was their one unique selling point. Mm. As a second tier search engine, they've just given up their market advantage 
over Google. I think that's really just the death knell for DuckDuckGo. So, you know, get on Twitter and tell us what you think about tag DuckDuckGo and get into that conversation. Let's have that lively debate with uh, Gabrielle Weinberg at DuckDuckGo. Let them know what you think. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, look, we've got to leave it there. Vanessa, have you got any closing thoughts? What do you think, uh, what do you think's next? Is next, I think there's a very high likelihood of a false flag of some description. Um, we have to wait and see if NATO member states. I mean, the thing is, when you you know when you watch Joe Biden, um, who who consistently makes the most appalling blunders in his speeches, and then as you showed, Pelosi, Kamala Harris. I mean, you know, the West is pretty psychotic at the moment. And so where one thinks there might be a degree of reticence to actually head um, or precipitate a third world war, I'm beginning to wonder if, if they really are not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not alone. She's not alone. A lot of people are worried. They're worried because they're losing confidence uh, in the political leadership and in the media. These people who are supposed to sort of, you know, be refereeing and, and moderating all these important discussions and diplomacy are all failing miserably. And instead, they're balkanizing the world's population yes. uh, along their own ideological lines. And it's very dangerous. And like I said before, these are the exact same conditions that preceded uh, previous world wars, particularly the Second World War, where Japan was absolutely shut out and isolated and punished. And look what happened uh, in, in December 7th, 1941. So, but again, some people profited uh, very handsomely from that war. So those who aren't directly involved in it um, are usually the ones who are the first to push it. Yes, okay, well, look, we've got to leave it there for today. Thank you very much to Vanessa Bailey, to you, Patrick. Uh, we will be back on Monday as usual. Um, hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.